Welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited for you to hear this interview today. I am interviewing Dr. Kara Ui, and she is a sleep physician, a youth psychiatrist. She's also the creator of Decode Insomnia. It is a selection of resources and programs that helps people who have been just struggling with chronic insomnia to have tried the usual interventions, you know, avoid caffeine and minimize your screen time and done those things and have just felt like nothing is working. She's also the host of Decode Project podcast, and she has worked extensively with youth who've really struggled with insomnia and in a way that that has affected their mental health and their daily functioning. And from that work, her goal has become to create a realistic path for people to break out of exhausted autopilot and access the incredible potential of optimized sleep. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this. And if this is beneficial for you, we are actually working together to put together a workshop for you to learn more about her work and to really come up with your own sleep plan. So Dr. Ui has formulated an incredible workshop. It is going to be a one and a half hour evening workshop. We're hosting it on June 14th, 2023 with a one week follow-up to check in, to answer any questions that you might have after implementing the step-by-step framework that she is going to walk us through. So if you are interested in that, I am going to link the registration page for this workshop. It's $57 for this incredible workshop worth way more money, but we decided we wanted to make this available to as many people as possible because sleep is one of those things. It affects everything else in your life. If you're not getting enough sleep, it's affecting your relationships. It's how you're showing up for yourself. It's affecting your appetite, your cravings, your productivity. And we want to see everyone really optimizing their sleep with Dr. Ui's incredible framework. So go check out the show notes. I'm going to link it and I hope you enjoy this amazing podcast episode. All right. Thanks so much, Kara. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. So we have Dr. Kara Ui, and um, I am so excited to talk about sleep and all of the amazing work that you are doing. Maybe you can just start by telling us a little bit about how you got into this area and what you do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. So just to give a little bit of background, I am trained as both a child and adolescent psychiatrist and a sleep physician. And essentially, I stumbled upon sleep at the end of my psychiatry training. I attended a lecture and I was just essentially blown away by how interested I was in it. And I started to do a bit more training and incorporate some of the strategies into my work. So the non-medication strategies that we have for insomnia. And I essentially just realized I had been missing the boat. Like I had been asking about sleep in my psychiatry training, but I think not putting enough value in it and really just not being aware of all the tools that we have available. So I started using it in my work, both in psychiatry and also in sleep medicine, and just was amazed by how the results I was seeing. And, you know, with sleep, it's it's something where you can intervene and you can see change quite quickly. In psychiatry, I'm very used to waiting a while or, or seeing change over the course of typically months. But with sleep, you can sometimes see change within days and often weeks. And so that was really, you know, that was a really nice thing to see. And I, I just saw both the direct impacts of sleep, but also how it could fuel this sense in people that they were actually able to change and that they had agency, like they could do things that would mm-hmm. really they could see the the benefit from it. And so after that, I went in and I did more training in sleep medicine and then have really veered into working specifically in sleep medicine, in particular with teens and young adults, 
and I help them with insomnia and sleep timing issues. Hmm, that's that's awesome. And it's so interesting for you to say like that you actually see change quickly because I'm going to jump right in. What I hear often from my clients who are struggling with sleep issues and insomnia is that they've like tried all of these things and they've tried, you know, three different medications and then it's been years and that there's a sense of like learned helplessness, which I also mm-hmm. see in what I do, sure. but, and like kind of hopelessness around sleep. So I think that's actually really encouraging to hear that it can be quick change. Absolutely. And I will say it's quick change for some people, if they are given the right, I was talking about the recipe, right? Mm. So I think the, what you just said about, I've tried everything and nothing works. That is the number one thing I hear over and over again. And I will talk to people a lot about how we are given sleep advice. That's typically in the form of a sleep hygiene handout or something like that, right? People will go and Google advice. And I always talk about how sleep hygiene handouts are typically not very effective, at least for the people that I meet with, but they can also do harm. And so the advice on there is not necessarily bad. It's it's good advice. It's just that it's a lot of stuff that needs to come together. And so, mm. especially when you're tired, right? And you're not feeling so sure that any of this is going to be helpful because you've heard it all before. It's really hard to implement. And then if you actually each, you take each of the things on that list, they're hard things to do, right? Wake up at a mm-hmm. consistent time, get off your phone an hour or two before bedtime, cut out naps, right? That's really hard to do if you're exhausted. And so, I find that it's just not, it's not actionable. People can't realistically put that together. And then the harm part is that then people associate or or they derive meaning from that. Like they've tried this, it hasn't worked. And so they start to believe that any sleep advice is not going to be helpful for them. Or the other common thing that I hear is that they're just not able to change. So a lot of people start to identify as I'm just a bad sleeper and nothing's going to help. And so I'm sure you're very familiar with those types of thoughts, but that's a real barrier to be able to them being able to even want to try anything else, nonetheless, take consistent action, right? To be able to see benefit. Yeah. You're so right about, you know, these things that are really hard to do. It's it's funny because they're so simple, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, get off your phone an hour and a half before bedtime. It's so simple. It doesn't, it's like not a complicated thing, but it's so hard to implement. And I'm kind mm-hmm. of laughing to myself because we have a sleep hygiene handout and it like says all of these things. And I'm thinking about myself and how challenging that is for me to implement. And I've been wanting to work on my sleep for a while. So yeah. So where do you start then? Well, and so I will just, just jump in and say, I feel so strongly about sleep hygiene handouts and how they are just they're not effective and how they're harmful. So I have created something to replace that. And so I'm going to give that to you that plays the same role. Because the reason why we give out sleep hygiene handouts is because, at least as a clinician, we're busy, right? We don't have necessarily the time to unpack and go through that recipe that I think is, is helpful and I can speak to later. So there's a reason why we do that. It's just not effective. And so I've created a video series that I'm hoping to replace sleep hygiene handouts around the world that- <laughs> to play that role. Yeah, that's amazing. And I have I have actually looked at all of your free sleep videos and like I just think that's amazing that what you're doing what you're doing of putting this free resource out there. So Kara's going to talk more about that and we are going to link that in the show notes and make that available to everyone. I know that this is like it's it's so high yield. I I watched it and I was like, "Oh, this actually isn't stuff that I've heard before or implemented myself before. So ripping up our sleep hygiene handout, replacing it with the link to, yes. to yes. your free resource. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So where, where do people get started? So, and this is actually what you will go through in the sleep, in the sleep series, I call it. Uh, so I call it the start sleep series. And so just 
to give people a little bit of understanding of what that looks like, it's a series of eight videos and they're all pretty short. And where I always start was, is just with giving some basic information. So I have a framework that I use to explain why it is that people can't sleep and what needs to come together for good sleep. So I call that the decode framework. And I'm always talking to people about how you need to think about getting your sleep on track. It's like a puzzle that needs to come together. So another really common thing that I hear is I've tried this and it didn't work for me. I've tried mindfulness. I've tried putting away my phone. It doesn't work for me. And so my response to that is always, I think that will be something that could be eventually helpful for you. But I think that there were other pieces of the puzzle that were just missing. Mm -hmm. And so I think having that overall sense of what needs to come together is really helpful. And there's just three pieces to the puzzle. Then I also, in that very first video, I talk about the fact, essentially what you were saying before, why is it so hard for us to do these simple things or simple things in the moment? Like, moving towards bedtime, waking up when we want to wake up. And so I speak to that and there's a little analogy that I use and I go into that in the video. And then I talk about the overall roadmap. So I think having that basic information is really key. And that's about a 20 minute video. And then I go into what I call the jump starts. And so, as I've mentioned before, a lot of the sleep hygiene handout stuff is really hard to do, like waking up at the same time, put away your phone, stuff like that. And what I find is one of the most common traps is that people try to start with step four, five, six, when they haven't done step one, two, and three, and then they just can't access the benefits of the later steps or they can, but they can't sustain it. And so the first three steps that I always get people to start with is what I call low hanging fruit. And the first one is setting up another place that is not your bed. Because one of the things that we know really drives chronic insomnia, as well as just generally poor sleep, is essentially a negative association that can be developed and associated with the bed. And so the bed becomes paired with the state of not being able to settle, being more alert, often with that busy mind. And I always say everything else can be working for you. You can be doing everything else perfectly. But if you have this negative association with the bed, you still probably are not going to be able to sleep well. And so the key thing is staying out of your bed, not getting into bed until you're sleepy. But a lot of people struggle to do that consistently, myself included. If I am, so what I get people to do is I get them to set up another place. I call it a cozy nook that essentially plays the role of the bed. It's just as appealing in the moment. And it's somewhere where you can realistically be in the moment so that you don't default back into your bed. And this one is so critical. I find that when I meet with people and they're telling me that their sleep is better, they always say that this was the thing that made the biggest difference. And mm. when I'm away, if I'm in a hotel and I don't have my cozy nook, I just stay in bed, right? And so I think that that is a, a great place to start. And I think that's one of the principles, right? About setting yourself up to be able to actually do this stuff that I think is so critical. Do you want me to tell you the other two steps or? I, yes, I'm, I, I love it. If, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm taking it all in and I'm thinking where my cozy nook would be in my own house. So, mm, yeah, yes. And there's some troubleshooting that needs to be done around that, right? I think a lot of people will often tell me I, I don't have a place for that or yeah. there's no room. And so in those videos, I actually address a lot of the common things that tend to common questions or common barriers that I find uh, come up with my with the people I work with. The second step is kind of similar to the cozy nook. And it's about, again, setting yourself up ahead of time to be able to actually do the stuff that's going to be helpful in the moment. So the second thing is what I call setting up a sleep kit. So having a toolkit or a container of things on hand that you can go to when you're unable to sleep. Because a lot of people, when they're unable to sleep, they'll either lie in bed and turn through things in their mind. Mm -hmm. And that tends mm -hmm. to be very unhelpful. Or they'll do something like default onto their phone or Netflix, especially for the teens that I see. That's really, really common. And it makes sense on one, one hand, right? If we're thinking about Netflix, that provides a distraction. And a lot of people tend to get flooded by a very busy mind in bed. 
it's just not helpful because of course, Netflix tends to be keep you stimulated to a certain extent and you get the light from the screens and stuff like that. And so you really need to go into that situation with a plan. And that's where I find that sleep kit can be so helpful. So it's just a kit of things that realistically you're going to go to in the moment that you can anchor your mind onto. So your mind doesn't kind of go off in an unhelpful direction. And it allows you also to relax and calm down. So that's step number two. And then step number three is just optimizing light in your environment. We really live in a world where we just, we have access to light all of the time. And one of the reasons why a lot of people struggle with sleep is because we have access to artificial light and we have access to our screens. And it's just so part of how we live our lives, right? And so that is step three, because if you don't address light, when you're getting light, when you're getting dark, it's pretty difficult to expect to sleep well. And when I bring up this idea of light, a lot of people immediately have this reaction. They don't like it because they think I'm going to tell them to put away their screens and their phones. And I always say to them, that's not the place to start. If you can do that, great. Like it, it, it will be good for your sleep. But there are a lot of other low-hanging fruit that you can do. Things like certain products that can be helpful, blue light blocking glasses, just turning off unnecessary lights that can really be game changers. And time and time again, people will tell me that and come back and tell me how surprised they are by how these little tweaks that don't take that much effort can just make such a big difference. Hmm. With light, I've been hearing a lot about how getting bright light, like getting outside in the morning and having sunlight is beneficial as well. Is, mm -hmm. is that something that you recommend also? Absolutely. So I think I was more referencing the idea of light in the few hours before sleep. Okay. Yeah. But absolutely the flip side to that is also getting a lot of light when we wake up and bright outdoor light is the best form of light. So yes, that's going to help both with setting your circadian rhythm. So setting your body clock. Mm -hmm. It also helps with things like mood and alertness. And it helps to keep, essentially it helps to strengthen your circadian signals. And so if you're getting that consistent light at that time, mm -hmm. it helps you with then being ready for sleep at the right time in the following nights. Just writing something down so I don't forget it. I have mm -hmm. so many questions. So, hey, when I hear this, the first thing that comes to mind is, and I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes with people that I'm working with, the recommendations are simple, right? Create your cozy nook, create your, your, your kit, and then minimize light. Like they're not complicated things. And sometimes people would almost rather hear complicated than implementing the simple. So do yes. you get resistance to doing this? 100%. And I think, again, just to reiterate, I work with teens and young adults mm, as well. So my right. population is I work with people between the ages of 13 and 26. And I will say, once you get into 21, 22, it's a completely different situation. But especially, I would say, for the 14, 15, 16-year-olds and, and older teens as well, sleep is not something that is that they typically want to do. And so I find that they need to have a really compelling reason to want to engage in this work. However, I really have tried to divide out my recommendations and the resources that I've created to put the low-hanging fruit at the beginning. So that even if I'm seeing teens and they're mostly just not interested in some of the you know, more in-depth work that I do around chronic insomnia, they at least can hit at that low-hanging fruit and not be making not be falling into like the major traps that people fall into that are relatively easy to fix. But yes, absolutely. I think so much of what I've created and a lot of what I've done has been created in that context of most people actually don't want to do this, even if they're telling me they want to <laughs> below the surface. There's, there's a lot of ambivalence. Yeah. You talked about the compelling why, and that's a lot of you know, we do that with our clients as well as really searching for their compelling why for making change and, and improving health. So how, how do you do that work with, with your clients is of finding that why? 
So I think it depends on if I'm just meeting with people initially or if I'm working with them in the context of a program. So when I meet with people initially, I just ask them, I actually have a questionnaire that I have people fill out beforehand. And on that questionnaire, I ask things like, is sleep a problem for you? And is it something that you're wanting to learn more about and something that you're wanting to address right now? Because I find that those two questions and the answers to those questions, and I get them to answer that out of a a scale of 10, it really colors how I'm going to speak to people and how I think I can best engage people and move forward with Mm -hmm. them. But Mm -hmm. often I'll just ask something like, you know, if, First of all, is this, is this a problem? Is it something you want to address? And if sleep looked better, what would that, what would your life look like? What would be different? Mm, yeah. You know, why does this matter to you? So I'll just say questions like that. And often this is after we've had a conversation and I get to know them a little bit, but I think just simple questions to tease apart what, what's actually important to you. Because I think, again, I know that this isn't your audience, but for me, I'm seeing teens and they're coming in with their parents and often the parents have a very different agenda and teens are often saying things in the moment that maybe they think I want to hear or their parents may want to hear or the opposite, right? They're wanting to do the opposite of what their parents want them to do. Mm -hmm. So I think just hitting a a simple question like that can be very helpful. When I work with people in terms of more of a program, I use something called the big three to use something like that. So essentially by understanding, by having through conversation, by understanding maybe really powerful moments for them or relationships that are really important to them, we tease apart what are their big three values. Mm-hmm. And this is something I use in my own life because it's just simple. When you have three things to make a decision, you don't want to have 10 things, right, that you are basing your decision off of. When making a decision, let's say in the moment as to whether to go to bed or not, does this align with my big three of how I want to live my life and who I want to be as a person? Yeah, I love that. I think this kind of ties into what you and I are both really aligned in is that you use sleep and and I want to talk more about this, but you use sleep to teach people that change is possible. Can you talk more about that? hundred percent. Yeah. So I think maybe, can I tell you about, I always have one patient Mm -hmm. in mind that I I think just represents why I do this work. And so this was fairly early on. And this was a teen who was really struggling. She had been out of school for a couple of years because was really struggling with mood and anxiety. And when I met with her really was on no schedule. Like she actually had a lot of help and support people coming into the home, but she couldn't access it because either she couldn't be awake or if people came into the home, she was a zombie, essentially. She couldn't engage in anything. And so when I started working with her, you know, it took a, it took a few sessions, but not that long. And I taught her some of the principles around sleep and really, you know, we implemented some pretty simple strategies and by maybe the third or fourth appointment, things were completely different. She didn't have insomnia anymore. And because she didn't have insomnia, she didn't have all of this time awake in the middle of the night when a lot of the anxiety and mood Mm. and really, really difficult stuff would come up. And this, this just made such a huge difference. All of a sudden she could engage with the help that, that was available to her. And that thing I was mentioning before that she, the mom talked about how this was the first thing where they felt like there was some forward movement and there was Mm. some hope right? That things could could get better. You know, that learned helplessness that you were talking about is so prevalent in the, you know, the teens that I see, but of course others as well. And so, you know, even though they knew that this wasn't the start or this wasn't the whole journey, this was a really great jumpstart, right? It was a way of being able to have that first change, get confidence from that, get energy from that, right? Get time back from that. 
And then also learn other things. Like I always talk about how I really think everything you need to learn in terms of being able to do hard things and change, you can learn in the context of getting your sleep on track, just as I know you can learn in terms of what you do too. And I just think that sleep is, it's a good first change because of it's a quick change. We have really good strategies. It's so, it's a problem for so many people and it's just an easier arena, at least for the people that I meet with. Sometimes it's that people don't want to talk about their depression or their anxiety, but they're willing to talk about their sleep. And so I think it's it's like a little, you know, it's like the playground. You can kind of learn mm-hmm. this stuff in an easier arena, and then you get to translate that stuff to the, to the quote unquote harder stuff. And that's why yeah. I do this. And I think it's such a good gateway because there's so many other things that you can't even address. Like this example of, of that you gave of this young girl, not being able to do the other things, because if your sleep isn't there, like I just think about when my sleep isn't, isn't optimal and how I'm showing up in every part of my life, right. How Mm -hmm. I show up as a mom, how I'm showing up with my clients, how I'm showing up for myself, everything else kind of, kind of can go downhill from there. So I think, yeah, sleep is such an amazing gateway to to self-improvement and to optimizing overall mental, emotional, and physical health. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like to break things down into simple frameworks. If you haven't noticed, like I like, yeah, I love it. I like I to have it. like little simple ways of remembering things. I think again, born from the fact that I just meet with a lot of really tired ambivalent teens. And so I need to, mm. I need to make it really simple. Right. But also for myself, I find, I find that's how I can remember things. But when you think about train change, you, it really just breaks down to changing your habits and learning skills. Yeah. Right? So if we think about if sleep is not going well and you're exhausted, and a lot of people I see also are are jet lagged, like even though they're not traveling because of the changing time of sleep, they're also jet lagged. Mm. You can't break habits that are not serving you. You can't build habits that are helpful. You can't build skills at all or as effectively. And so I think just even considering it from that angle, sleep plays such a major role in terms of being able to change anything. That's so interesting. Yeah. So along the lines of when you're saying with people being jet lagged, even though they haven't even traveled, and I assume you're referring to people who have just like no set bedtime schedule. And so it's changing all the time. Is that what you mean by it's that? more about the wake up time. So in oh, terms okay. of the, the things that are, are going to be most powerful in terms of setting the timing of the clock, it's actually the wake up time. And then also the timing of when you're getting light and dark. And so this is something that plays out all of the time in almost every teen that I see, but I think it also applies to adults. When you have a change in your wake-up time that's more than two hours, you can develop what we call social jet lag because essentially you're getting that wake-up time and that timing that you're getting your first light shifts back and forth. And so the analogy that I like to use, and this is what happens in teens, is that teens often have to wake up at, let's say, seven o'clock on weekdays. And then on weekends, when they have the freedom to sleep in, and that's more aligned with their circadian rhythm, and that's also what all their friends are doing, they sleep until 12, and many sleep much later than that. But that's a five-hour shift. And so the analogy Mm -hmm. that I use for that is it's like taking a flight from Toronto to Hawaii on Friday and then flying back on Sunday. So Mm. what would happen if you did actually go to Hawaii is that you would be on Toronto time for a few days at least, probably a bit longer than that. But then you would adjust, right? If you got the right cues on Hawaii time and then you'd be on Hawaii time, you'd be okay. But while you were shifting, you'd be jet lagged. And so what happens when we're jet lagged, we don't want to sleep at the right time. We're tired. We're sleepy. We're definitely not functioning at our best, right? Cognitively, we can physically feel unwell. And then also people get depressed and have more difficulty regulating when they're jet lagged. But we just don't typically associate that necessarily with jet lag because it just resolves and goes away. 
But a lot of the people that I see, because they're going back and forth every single weekend, they end up essentially stuck in this chronic state of jet lag, of social jet lag. And so it's very difficult at that point to tease apart, you know, what is this particular issue around fatigue or depression? Is that because of the sleep pattern or is it because of the other things, of course, that can contribute to that? What I've found is that there's a spectrum. Sometimes that stuff all just quiets completely when people are sleeping on a more regular schedule. Mm -hmm. Other times it's just that things get better. But of course, there are other things that are driving those types of symptoms or or things that you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And so... For your patients, how do you get the buy-in to be like, hey, it's Saturday morning and you should wake up at seven? Like, how mm. do you how do you start with that? I'd be really interested. So I think they need to trust that I'm not gonna just give them the same advice and I'm not mm-hmm. gonna get or I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lecture them. I'm not gonna give them advice that's unrealistic. And so I think it comes down to meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if that means that I meet with a teen and they're just, they're not interested at all, I may not even talk at all about sleep. And I might then just give resources to parents. I have a whole bunch of podcasts and handout cheat sheets and stuff like that for parents, about what they can do behind the scenes. And I try to essentially, I I think about how can I leave the door open so that I'm not that adult telling them to do stuff that they don't want to do. And they'll come back and they'll engage either with me or just engage with my resources. So that's also why I just put stuff out there, videos and podcasts and stuff like that, so that they can go and stumble upon it themselves. Because I think that's another thing, right? As opposed to feeling lectured at, you're going and seeking out that information. I think that makes a big difference. If people Mm -hmm. are a bit more interested, then I I really try to get them those quick, early, easy wins, right? And so that's some of the stuff that we've talked about, the jump starts. I think those are things that are realistic. They don't need to take that long and they can just have a really powerful impact. So I should say those three things that I mentioned to you earlier, sometimes that's all I start with, with people at the beginning. And they they have the video series if they want to go and consume more. But sometimes they'll come back and see me a couple of weeks later and their sleep issue is gone. (laughs) Like it's just nothing else needs to happen because they've addressed those first three things. And then they naturally can actually fall into the other habits and behaviors that tend to be helpful for sleep. Okay. So help me understand this. So you create your crazy, your, your cozy nook and you have your kit and you're trying to minimize light. So let's say you're, you're not sleepy yet. So you go to your cozy nook. Do you just kind of do, you engage in those calming activities until you start to feel sleepy and then you go to bed or how, how do you walk yeah, that out? So that's what I would recommend in the moment. So I think we can divide recommendations out to what can you do beforehand to set you, yourself up for those moments when you can't sleep right. and what can you do in the moment? So maybe I'll just tell you a little bit more about the, the video series and what comes after, because I think that will explain how I tend to put things together. After those jump starts, I have people essentially create simple routines. And I call that putting the tricky moments on autopilot. So the tricky moments for everybody are waking up, but also powering down. And so just simple routines that are enjoyable that people, again, it's 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 making decisions ahead of time, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of making a decision from a place where you are not in the moment and maybe you know wanting freedom at that time, or you, you're caught up in watching Netflix or you're talking to your friends and you don't want to log off of that. So that really can help. I know you talk a lot about that, yeah. that concept too, right? Yeah. So there's a, the stuff that's set up and, and I, I don't want to go into this too much, but also making sure that you're trying to sleep at the right time. Cause a lot of people will fall into this trap of trying to sleep before, before it's time for the body clock essentially. Right. And mm-hmm. there's an, there's an important concept to know about that in that window, that kind of couple hour window before your body's actually ready for sleep based on the timing of your clock it's called the forbidden zone. So this is a period of high alertness 
when it's Mm -hmm. actually next to impossible to sleep. And so a lot of people will refer to that as their second wind, they're exhausted all day and then they get all their energy at that time. That's when a lot of people want to be productive and creative, especially in teens. I heard this term recently, apparently on TikTok, there's something going around called midnight motivation. So, you know, I think, let me just go through it stepwise. So first you need to make sure it's the right time. There's also the homeostatic drive, right? Like if you haven't had enough time awake or you haven't been active enough. So there's a setup. And then in the moment, Essentially, yes, you want to address anything that might be keeping you alert and activated. And I talk about something called sleep blockers. So all the things that can kind of keep us from powering down. And then once you've done that, yeah, you want to stay out of bed. You want to stay in your cozy nook. You want to engage in activities that are going to be enjoyable enough that they hold your attention, but not be activating. And then you wait until you're sleepy. And then that's when you want to get into bed so that you're not, again, fueling that negative association with the bed by spending a lot of time awake. And Do you recommend that people work towards a certain bedtime? I do. I mean, ideally, if you're waking up at the same time, ideally, you're also going to bed at the same time. However, the downside to that recommendation is that people think that they have to be in bed at 10 o'clock, no matter what. Mm -hmm. If your body's not ready for sleep at 10 p.m., or if your body is, if you're not powered down, it's not helpful to go to bed at 10 o'clock. So you both want to align when you're going getting into bed with when you have the potential for sleep based on the timing of your clock and then also how much pressure or drive you've built up for sleep. And then you also don't want to get into bed until you're feeling as if you're on the edge of sleep to address that negative association with the bed. Right. So, but as people are implementing this and they're, they're, you know, they're practicing not lying in bed and stuff like that, is there a time of day for the standard person who let's say has to get up at 6.30 or seven o'clock in the morning. Right. Sorry, I got a little derailed. So yes, ideally, if you all of the other practices are in place, you're kind of waking up at approximately the same time, then yes, targeting a similar bedtime is, is a good practice. And so then it's a matter of how much sleep does your body need and and the timing of when you wake up. So yes, you can essentially do the math if you have to wake up at six o'clock and you're somebody who does well with eight hours of sleep, then yes, setting that target of, of 10 o'clock or even 930 would be a good idea. Okay. You know how there's people who are like early birds or they're night owls. Is there one that's more ideal than the other? There's, you know, the whole in entrepreneurship and stuff, you know, business people are always like the 5am club and like <laughs> yeah. everything happens. you know, you're like the more, you're a more successful person. If you wake up at 5am, is there any, any truth to that? Is there any benefit to that? Can you talk about that? So I think it more has to do with what aligns with the day-to-day and kind of what society dictates. So I think in the way that our society is set up, being an early bird tends to be beneficial, mm-hmm. right? So I think you need, there's a few things to consider. There's kind of what is your natural tendency? And I have a story about this for a second because I used to be a night owl and I am mm-hmm. a complete morning person now. So I'll tell you about that in a second. Okay. So it's, it can change and it changes with age as well. So there's kind of that piece of it. And then there's also just what do you think is going to fit into your life consistently? Right. So I would say, let's say an entrepreneur, if they have complete control over their schedule and they tend to truly be night owls, then sleeping on a later schedule, I think is fine. So long as you can generally maintain that consistency. If you are somebody who just, your work starts at a certain time and you have to be up at a certain time, then Mm -hmm. it's going to be more beneficial overall to be able to shift onto an earlier schedule. That I say that knowing that that's difficult though. So I don't want Mm -hmm. anybody to think that I'm saying that lightly. Mm -hmm. I think again, it just, it tends to be more beneficial if you are an earlier person, if you happen to be one of those lucky people, because it just aligns better with when we typically have to be at work and wake up Mm -hmm. our kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. How did you shift? 
Okay. So I, I used to be known as a night owl, like in med school, people knew I would come in. I would miss the first class. If I was there, I just wouldn't <laughs> absorb anything. I, I, I had a reputation and luckily I, you know, I was able to get through med school. Obviously it was fine, but I was a night owl even up until maybe let's say two or three years ago, it was during the pandemic. And I realized I was like, I'm asking all of these teens to wake up probably three hours before they naturally want to wake up right now based on mm. the current timing of their sleep. So I'm asking mm. them to shift earlier. And I think I need to do this myself, right? I was waking up at that time, probably at seven, but I challenged myself and I said, I'm going to start waking up every day at 5.30. And, you know, I can tell you a bit about how I did that, but I essentially, I was able to do it. And I essentially discovered that 5.30 in the morning is my favorite time of the day. It's quiet. Nobody bothers me. I can get so much work done. I sit there, I sit here with my coffee and I love it. So I'm, I, I'm now a complete morning person. Everybody knows that about me too. So it's, it's doable. There was a, there was a, a study done with teens where, you know, cause teens are naturally more night owls. And then because of the way in which our world is set up just with the axis of light, because one of the things that shifts the clock later is all the light that we're getting in the evening and then not getting enough night light in the morning and during the day. So they took these teens that looked like true night owls and they brought them camping for a few days and they all were able to shift earlier. Now, there are some people who truly are night owls and they're going to be resistant to shifting, but a lot of it has to do with our environment and our and the cues that we're giving the clock. Yeah, so interesting. When you were shifting, because I'm actually thinking of some clients right now of mine who are trying to make themselves more into morning, like morning people. Do you wake up earlier first or do you try to go to bed earlier first? You wake up earlier first. So okay. I will say I have given a workshop to teens and their parents about how to shift the clock earlier before school. So in terms mm -hmm. of the tactics, I can go through them quickly right now, but in terms of the tactics and, and the how to do it, uh, there's a workshop on my website that people can go and access freely. But what you want to do is, because I mentioned the wake up time and the light in the morning, that is how you're going to cue the clock. And so mm -hmm. you do need to start waking up at a consistent time. And then you can do it a few ways. I typically recommend that people try to gradually advance the timing of the wake up, maybe by an hour every day, because that's how quickly the clock can, sorry, how quickly the clock can typically shift about okay. a day for every hour that you need to shift. But as you're shifting, your clock doesn't shift immediately, right? So if you wake up at, let's say at six o'clock, it doesn't mean that your body is going to be ready the next night at an earlier time. You might be a bit more oh, tired okay. because you've been awake longer. So you've built up more more drive or pressure for right. sleep, but mm -hmm. you, you actually, if you go to bed earlier, you're probably going to hit your forbidden zone. And so you're just going to be alert at that time. So you kind of need yeah. to wait. You will eventually start getting sleepy earlier if you are consistent with that wake up time, but you don't want to expect that immediately. So it's all about the morning, the wake up time. And then at the other end of things, you're just adhering to those rules about not getting, getting into bed until you're sleepy mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. winding down and stuff like that. Right. You don't want to mm -hmm. just be staying up and, and doing other really activating things. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about the importance of consistency. I hear from a lot of shift workers and have a lot of clients who are shift workers struggling with sleep and their weight as well. Do you have any suggestions for how people who have to change their shifts and their sleep schedules mm -hmm. can optimize that? So this is really interesting. I just gave a workshop to a group of female physicians and I had asked you know, a group of my friends what they wanted to know about sleep. And many of my friends also are emergency physicians. And so they right. have to work shifts. Mm -hmm. And so I actually don't work that much with shift workers, to be honest, but I decided I was going to crack this code. And so I think the problem with shift work is that it's not an optimal situation. So you kind of have to work with what 
you've got. And I actually yes. think there's a parallel here with the teens. Like I always say, teens can't expect perfect sleep just because of the way things are set up with school times and their clock and things like that. So they're starting with that understanding that you can't make it perfect. And of course, I think everybody knows that, but you can improve things. Like there are certain things that you can improve. So the way in which, and so what I've done actually is I I asked one of my friends for her schedule just for a week. And I told her, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to crack the code and I'm going to try to figure this out. And I've put together this cheat sheet and it's just a first version. I don't even know if it's helpful yet, but I've given it to a few people to try out and they're going to give me feedback. And eventually I will put this out there and, and share it with others. But a lot of the same principles that we use for good sleep are going to be helpful for shift work, right? In terms of timing of sleep and having ways of automating or making decisions ahead of time so that it's easier for you to power down so that when you do have the opportunity to sleep, it's more likely to be able to sleep well. Mm -hmm. Also things that are going to help you be able to make the best use of your time during the day. So Sorry, there's there's a lot of advice. I'm trying not to get into the weeds too, too much. But I, what I would say is overall trying to, even before you get your shifts, there are things that you can do to make it easier, right? And I know that this is not always realistic, but if you can try to have at least a batch of shifts that are around the same time, that's going to be a lot easier as opposed to shifts that are moving around all the time. If you have shifts that are gradually getting later, that's also going to be easier because it's easier to stay up later as opposed to force yourself to go to sleep earlier. And then the other thing that can be helpful is trying to ask for shifts that are more aligned with your circadian rhythm. So if you tend to be more of a night owl, then it typically is better for you not to do the morning shifts, but rather do the evening or even overnight shifts. And then if you know if you're a night owl, if you can, getting more of the day shifts are going to be better. Again, mm -hmm. because it just aligns more with what your natural tendency is. Mm -hmm. And then I have this process and we'll see if it's helpful, but I, I get people to, to log their sleep in a very particular way that's very visual. And so I essentially took what I use with the patients that I work with, the people that I work with, and I tried to do that in the context of shift work. And so I don't know that I think visually I can't really explain it very well, but essentially trying to carve out a window for sleep, which is when you're going to target your sleep and then try to adhere to the best practices around optimizing sleep and then figuring out where you're going to have to build in some flexibility because obviously there's, you know, you're working with a lot more when you have shifts and then you're also having to balance, you know, often being a parent or just all the other responsibilities that you have um, outside right. of work. Right. Right. Yeah. I hear like, I'm kind of, pulling out some of the principles. And I think that pre-planning, right? Like that there's pre-planning that comes into so many things when we're dealing with optimizing human behavior or like human behavior change, right? Mm -hmm. it, it kind of translates to whether you're dealing with your eating habits or you're dealing with weight or you're dealing with like, I know so many different things. It's really interesting. For sure. A lot of my clients struggle with revenge, bedtime procrastination. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. And I think like, this is a mindset thing, right? So you, there's like the, I always think there's like the actions, right? There's the do's, mm -hmm. but then there's the whole mindset behind it of like, well, what do you do when you like, you know what you should be doing, but mm -hmm. this is your time because you've been with your kids all day or, yes. you know, you've been working and like you, you have this time. So how do you address that? So this might be a good time for me to introduce the, the analogy that I use or the model that I use. Cause I really, everything it's in that very first video. And then if you really get into the program that I've developed for chronic insomnia, everything hinges around this. Mm -hmm. And so the analogy is if you think of yourself as a biker and you are halfway up a hill, you can go uphill and that's a harder route to take. And the moment you're going against gravity, there may not be any path. Like you may not have gone up that hill before. 
So it's harder in the moment. And then you've got the other path and that's like a smooth downhill ride, right? And it's maybe a concrete path and you've got friends going down that path with you and it's really carved out. It's really familiar. And so pretty much every tricky moment, and I think you probably apply this to you. I think you can absolutely apply this to what you do as well. Yep. It's kind of like that, right? In the moment when it's time to power down. And I am not immune to this either. Absolutely. We want freedom at the end of our day. We want some control over our time. And so just continuing to, you know, do any number of things, scroll on our phones, watch the next Netflix show. All of that stuff feels like the downhill path, right? Like that smooth downhill ride and putting that stuff away and doing the things that, you know, can help power you down. It's like going up that hill. Mm -hmm. So what do I recommend? I think, again, going back to that idea of making decisions ahead of time really makes a big difference. So I think just even making a decision about what time you're going to target going to bed, a lot of people just don't do that. It's, it's, it's actually, and I don't fault anybody for doing it, but that's a really simple thing. I always compare it to, you know, I will sometimes just put things in the oven, just assume I'm going to remember them, but I, every time I do not, right. Every time I bring (laughs) And so just simple things like that, making a decision. And then It might be a matter of building out a simple bedtime routine. So you know exactly what you're going to do when your alarm goes off. And then even taking it further, sometimes chunking out your time in the evening, right? And part of that, I think one thing that's very helpful is why do we procrastinate? It's because we don't feel like we've filled up our cup, right? We don't feel like we've had that freedom. So what are the things that make you feel that way? And can you schedule those things earlier in the day? So that you do feel like, even if that's just the one thing where you've had control, maybe you've been able to do a little bit of self-care or whatever it may be, you have that. And it makes it a bit easier, I think, to shut things down and move towards bedtime. So, yeah. So I think there's, there's that, making those decisions ahead of time in terms of the schedule. There's also just shaping the environment. So I always get people to think, to talk, like, what are the... I I call them the away moves, right? Or the things that bring you downhill or the Mm -hmm. downhill moves. So what are those key things for you? And then how can we apply habit principles to that? How can we reduce the triggers? How can we make that stuff harder to do? How can we make that stuff less rewarding? And then what are the things that you do want to do? And that's typically what I just said, right? Maybe the stuff that you're doing in bedtime routine or your evening schedule. And how can we also apply habit principles to that? How can we set alarms to remind ourselves? How can we make that stuff easier to do? Like preparing a sleep kit ahead of time so that it's just there and ready for you. And then also how can you reward yourself? And so there's lots of different ways of doing that. Again, I'm sure you're very familiar with these types of things, but that might be something simple, like just giving yourself a check mark. Or the other thing I do is I will reserve certain books or articles that I don't let myself read during the day. And then I get to do that right at the end of my bedtime routine. So that's a little treat for myself waiting at the end of the bedtime routine. I think also when we think about shaping the environment, we have to think about who else is in our household, right? Because that's a big one that can really derail people wanting to stay like, I want to stay up and hang out with my husband, right? And and he, now that I'm an early person, he gets kind of annoyed with me because that's used to be our time together. So I think mm-hmm. having those conversations ahead of time and figuring out how you're going to maybe otherwise carve out time to be together and and just, yeah, not talking also about how you're just going to handle it in the moment, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so interesting because everything, as you're saying it, is very, there's so many commonalities with what we teach. And I think it's it, what it boils down to is it's applying principles of habit change, right? Mm-hmm. To whatever area of your life you're trying to optimize. So, yeah, I, I just, I think it's, it's so interesting to hear it from your perspective and like applying these same principles that we teach for eating behaviors and, and, you know, overall physical health behaviors 
to, yeah, to what you do asleep. So for sure. Awesome. I was just listening to your podcast episode where you, you speak about your new course around, um, late night snacking. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that you talk about is setting yourself up earlier in the day by not restricting mm-hmm. during the day. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about in terms of making sure that you've done certain things during the day so that you actually can realistically expect sleep at, at the time that right. you want. Right? right. So that's stuff like maybe shifting the timing of your clock, waking up earlier, avoiding naps. So th- those are things that are going to dictate when your body is ready for sleep. So absolutely. Right. There's, there's parallels and that's I don't know. I tend to think in this way. I tend to think in in models and analogies and and frameworks. And I think, again, it comes back to what you were saying earlier, sleep and weight management and eating. These are all just examples of of change and hard things. And it just kind of depends on what flavor you want and what you need right now. And Mm -hmm. it's just a vehicle for being able to learn this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so, so powerful. I really appreciate that everything, like the work that you're doing doesn't involve, you know, just prescribing Zopiclone (laughs) or (laughs) melatonin or, you know, whatever. Do you think that there are some people who will just need pharmacotherapy or can the majority of people manage with these behavioral interventions? Like how do you see the two working together? Mm -hmm. I think more people can manage without medication than what is currently occurring. I I do think there's too much prescribing. However, I do also think that medication can absolutely play a role. Mm-hmm. So the way in which I think about medication is that it's kind of like a, a cast when you break your leg, right? Initially at the beginning, especially if you haven't been able to have any success or you're just not able to stay as consistent for all of the reasons for why it's hard to stay consistent with certain things and you need a bit more support, that's what medication can do. There are a lot of reasons why medication is definitely not a good idea in the long run, but I think we have to, I don't know, I'm really realistic and I think we have to consider that you're trying to make these changes and things are not always going to be ideal, right? We have to consider the whirlwind, like all of the other things that are going to make it difficult to take action. So that's my take on it. I think it plays a role. I think it always should be used in conjunction with all of the other non-medication strategies we have because they're really, they're really effective and they work really well if they're implemented in the right way and put together in the right way that again is realistic to engage with. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I'm very aligned with yeah, the overall philosophy. Okay, I, this has been so, so amazing. Is there any anything in closing that you think would be really important or that we didn't cover in regard to chronic insomnia and the work that you do and what you teach? I guess the other big part of what I do is I'm a podcast host, as you are. Yes. And I think, again, this speaks to what we were talking about earlier, but the podcast that I have, which at this point is more directed at my fellow colleagues and professionals, is not about sleep and it's about these concepts of change and you know all of the things that go into really moving the dial and being able to change and what gets in the way. And so I guess I would just say that again I just I I'm such a strong believer in the fact that sleep is such a great place to start for so many people because it's just a really great first example of change. And so if you are somebody who you know maybe had similar thoughts to what we were talking about before about I've tried everything nothing's worked. I think just trying one more time and seeing, you know, if they're, if things were put in the right way, I really believe that, that people are able to, to sleep better and, uh, and, and then learn so much from doing that. Yeah. So good. Okay. So where can we find your podcast and share your website, share all of that. I'm also going to put it in the show notes for everyone. So I think for simplicity, the easiest place is to start with that start video series. And that can be found on my website, decodeinsomnia.com forward slash start. And then if there is anybody in the role of 
the professional helping other people with sleep, I've also put together a toolkit that I call the Start Toolkit that essentially helps professionals with really easily integrating sleep into their work. So, you know, I've talked all about the power of sleep, but I also am very aware that other professionals don't necessarily have the bandwidth to go into it in the, the same way that I do. So I've created a number of tools that I'm I'm hoping are just very, very almost effortless to integrate and get out these ideas around sleep and how it's a great first change and how it's much more doable than a lot of people think. Okay. Everyone needs to go and check out Kara's tools because I've looked at them. They're not just like, you know, basically like you've done such a good job. Your production quality is so good. I'm very impressed with it. So decodeinsomnia.com forward slash start mm-hmm. is where everyone needs to go. I want everyone to check it out because you've got such valuable resources there. So thank you for thank you. all of this work. Like you've worked really hard at this. Thank you for putting it out there. Thank you for coming on the podcast. This has been really, really helpful. And I know it's going to benefit a lot of people and it's different strategies than what we've heard of like reduce your caffeine and, you know, those basic things. So this has been, this has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed listening to the High on Life podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and review it on Apple Podcasts.